Our New Testament lesson comes from the book of Acts, and we are in the ninth chapter, and we hear a very familiar story of Saul's conversion on the way to Damascus. Let us listen for God's word. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as Saul was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this very moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands upon him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind any who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord.
Let us pray. Holy and mighty God, you raise Christ from the grave, and he is alive. And so he meets us on our way. We ask that he may meet us here today and show us something new that may give us strength and help us to serve you, the Lord of love, of peace, and of justice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I am severely emotionally challenged. Now, that's very interesting because it was supposed to say directionally challenged, but there it came out emotionally challenged, and I sort of wonder what that means. I really do. But I am directionally challenged. I have almost no sense of direction and I easily lose my way. I love my GPS, and particularly the map app on my phone. I use it constantly. Enter in the address, find the location, press the button, the voice tells me exactly how to go. But there is a flaw in the system. Last Monday, I was driving on democracy, and I was in a hurry to get somewhere. That lady was telling me the way to go the shortest way. But she did not know that the entrance ramp to the highway was closed. And so my way was blocked, and I had no choice but to go another way. The story of Saul's conversion is so dramatic we don't get the true drama of it unless we remember that Saul is a faithful man. He loves God, and he loves the law. He loves Torah law. He has devoted his life to it. He has studied it. He knows it. He's lived it. And he defends it. Now, Jesus' ministry threatened the traditional interpretation of the law. Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He violated the purity laws, touching the disease, befriending those offensive to the religious establishment, collaborators with Rome, those outside the sexual norms. He constantly challenged the dominant paradigm of male domination by welcoming women into leadership roles. So it is not at all surprising that Saul despised Jesus and the followers of Jesus. Jesus shamed the Pharisees. What Saul did was 
horrendous. His religious fervor led him to violence. He held the coats and he approved of the stoning to death of Stephen. He asked for official sanction to go and hunt down Jesus' followers, to kick in doors at night, to drag out women and men, and bind them to bring them to a religious inquisition like Stephen's, so that they may be imprisoned at the very least. Saul was a religious zealot, a murderer, an extremely dangerous person. And we know what happened. Rather than recount the whole story, I have simplified it to a few lines, not exactly a haiku. Saul went to find and bind, God made him blind. Three days in the tomb, out of the womb, God gave new sight to Paul, new life, new job to spread the gospel abroad. I am tempted to make us all learn that little poem. Saul went to find and bind. Christ made him blind. Three days in the tomb, out of the womb, God gave new sight to Paul, new life, new job to spread the gospel abroad. We need to remember that. What Saul experienced was the resurrection because the risen Christ was there. Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Christ closed the road and made Saul go a different way. The same destination was honoring God. It was to honor God for peace. Saul had tried to honor God in a way that turned violent and was repugnant to the Lord. So God showed up in Christ to stop religious violence. How many days was Saul in the blind? Three days. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. On the third day, he was raised to new life. Jesus stepped in to redirect Saul's devotion to God. In the ways of radical nonviolence, peace, justice, and reconciliation that Jesus taught, God gave him a new job to take this radical nonviolence not only to his own faith tradition, but first of all to those who had always been excluded, to the enemies of his faith, the Gentiles who were not going to strictly follow Torah law, as Saul, the Pharisee, had taught it and loved it. But God intervened to stop religious violence and abuse. Christ is alive to stop religious violence and to redirect God's children in the ways of peace. This past week, I had the opportunity to reconnect with a friend of mine that I had not seen for 30 years. Beth and I were part of that delegation of young people who went to South Africa with the Presbyterian Church 30 years ago this summer. We went to see how the church in Southern Africa 
was responding to apartheid. Many of you know this was my road to Damascus. It was the height of apartheid, that political system that sanctioned violence against 90% of the population. It was religiously inspired violence because the Bible had been interpreted to mean that people with darker skin were of a cursed race and that they were less than human. And it was the people with white skin's job to dominate and control. This warped, warped theology became a political policy and South Africa committed all manner of violence in the name of religion. They forced people to move who had been on their land and their families had been there for hundreds of years. They made them live in homelands, no water, no work. When people set up camp to live somewhere else, the South Africa Defense Force came at night, surrounded it with barbed wire, and came in with bulldozers and tanks and killed anyone who could not get out. Abuse and violence took the form of imprisonment, as in Nelson Mandela, beatings, forced relocation, control of movement, and massive poverty and starvation. I could talk all day about the things I experienced there and the number of times I met the risen Christ in people who were standing up against religious violence. Beth and I sat down to look through the old photo album. And as we went through it, picture by picture, we could both say exactly where we were and what was happening at each photograph. Thirty years collapsed. It was wonderful in a sense because when one sees the risen Christ, and no one else does, we don't really know. We can sort of say yes, but then we sort of wonder, did it really happen? Beth and I were going through these pictures, and all of a sudden, she pointed at one. And I knew that she as well, that we had seen the risen Christ. It was Dora Tamana. She was 90 years old. You may remember me telling this, this story. It's a good story. Dora had worked all of her life on issues of justice and freedom. She had traveled internationally and attended women conferences abroad. 
But when apartheid came in and she refused to stop her justice work, she too was rounded up to live in a township named Kailicha. She became a band woman, meaning that she was under house arrest and no more than three or four people were allowed to be in the same room with her at any time. Now she was 90. When she heard that a delegation of American young people had come to South Africa, she asked us to come to her home that night. It was illegal to go into the townships. We never knew what happened to our hosts because we left the townships. But Dora insisted that we come, all 12 of us. We gathered in her room, the shanty shack. She was sitting up in bed. She was blind and her breathing was heavy. It was very uncomfortable for us to be there because we could see she was suffering. Her family was tending to her and I think wishing we would leave. But she insisted on telling us her story, on telling us about her justice work, telling us about the children that she had helped, telling us about her sons who were also in justice work, hiding out in Zimbabwe because they could not return, and how she longed to see them. And she said to us, take my story. Take it back and tell it. Tell it. At that time, U.S. policy was tacit support for apartheid. We did not step in. American companies like Shell built the armored tanks. God in Jesus Christ showed up to stop religious violence. Showed up to confront us and make us go a different way. The next morning we learned that after we left, Aunt Dora died. She had literally given us her life. It was up to us to tell her story. Beth and I shared stories of how each of us had tried to fulfill that job, that mission that she gave us. Seven of the 11 Americans who were in that delegation now serve the church. The other four I don't know about because I haven't been in touch.
We haven't found them. I tell you this story as my story. Some of it, us, some of you, will have had some experience in your life where you have been confronted by the risen Christ and had your own life redirected in a new way. You may connect with a time in which you stopped in your tracks and the road was closed and you got a new purpose. But many of us may connect more with those who have been abused by religion. No one may be coming to bind us and take us to prison for our beliefs, but still, many of us know the pain done to the human soul when God's word is misused and abused. Sometimes, good-meeting people say to us, or we say to others, if you had only had more faith, your loved one might not have died. Or, God needed him more in heaven. Or, the illness, the storm, the tornado, the flood, was God's punishment for some terrible thing we may have done. Worse. If we do not believe the right doctrine, we will go to hell. Or that God hates people because of their religion, or because of those they love, or that suffering is proof of sin. Some of these words are well-meaning and some of them are simply abusive lies that have done damage to many souls. When we hear constantly in the media of priests abusing children, of religion being used, to oppress women, to say that God hates any group of people, or that Jesus condemns those with no faith. We can see in the story from Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus that this is not Jesus. Jesus is the one who steps in to stop the religious violence. And of course, the great irony is that so many people do not know this nonviolent Jesus. This story is meant to comfort us and anyone who has experienced the pain caused by the misuse of religion. And it is for those of us who have experienced the risen Christ and been confronted by our own misdirection 
of the word of God. And it is for those of us who stand up to religious violence, any violence. For Jesus stands with us. The risen Christ stands with us. We stand with the risen Christ confronting those systems of violence. Now, this is a long sermon to remember, so we go back to that little poem. Saul went to find and bind, Christ made him blind. Three days in the tomb, out of the womb, God gave new sight, to Paul new life, new job, to spread the gospel abroad. May it be for us as well. Amen.